0: it's so much fun hey fuckers good to be with you 99 how you doing good how are you busy as are you lots going on everybody so let's get to it first off shout out to bookstore kim who got in touch with us just to say hey because she missed us no note to read on the air nothing like that just to say hey so we wanted to say hey back because we love bookstore kim we love bookstores we love bookstore kim She's in Vermont. We love Vermont. There's just so much to love about her and it's just great to hear from her. A reminder of the journey that we've been on for so long because she's an original unfucker. It just felt good to see her name. There were a bunch of new signups to the newsletter this week which is really good because we have a little bit of an announcement about the newsletter about the content, about uh, different tiers, membership tiers, and things that are going to be changing in the next couple of months. So I appreciate everybody who is signing on board to the newsletter. I hope you're enjoying it. We're trying to fill it out as much as we can, and be a little more timely with it. So, for example, last week we had a situation where I might have written a couple things that were going to appear in the newsletter, and then by the next day it was uh, totally irrelevant, so we had to change it up. Such is the nature of the news business. Quick note to Dan M., I owe you a much longer response to your critique of the transportation article that I shared from Current Affairs. It's a multi-part, very well-thought-out criticism, so I don't want to distill it, so I'd rather kind of incorporate it into a much larger piece on transportation that I've been promising for a while but I just wanted to let Dan know my friend you are heard. Now for the the announcement about the membership tiers. I want to get this out of the way. We're going to be talking about this probably every single week because this is fall. It's the beginning of our fall fundraiser and we're going to be we're going to be changing things up a little bit. Now remember, I made a promise never to gate the core content of the podcast. That remains true. But we are introducing a couple of interesting, cool things to entice some people to take out some different memberships and to bring some of our some of our core fuckers a little bit closer to the behind the scenes. So, with that said, the tiers are going to change toward the end of the year. I think uh, just before the holidays, but you know, somewhere between the holidays and January 1st, we're going to be changing the tiers, and they're going to be a little different monetarily, but they're also going to give you, hopefully, a lot more value with that, so... Our curious members at $5 a month are going to get access to the weekly newsletter. They're going to get a UNFTR sticker, shout out and show notes as they always do, and early notice of new merch and coffee. And there's going to be a lot going on with merch as we head into the new year. So we're going to be changing it up and there's going to be a lot of good stuff. Uh, And we're also going to be retiring certain things in the store as well. So that's why the early notice will be beneficial. The next level will be the comrade level at $10 a month which is a decrease from the current price and a little bit of a name change. But the reason we wanted to do this is to put more cost-effective tiers in place so more people can participate with the show. This will get you access to the weekly newsletter, access to a new feature, which will be a monthly hang with me. With me and friends. We're calling it Hang with Max and Friends, but there'll be other people on the hang. Uh, But that is going to be an exclusive feature for Comrade and Up members. You'll get a UNFTR sticker, shout out and show notes and early notice of Merchant Coffee as well. Then the next level is the professional tier at $20 a month. Also a decrease from the current price. So we're going to be revising pricing across the board. And some of you who are already paying at certain tiers are going to be getting a discount, which is great. That will get you access to the newsletter. That will get you access to the monthly hang. It also gets you a sponsored buy notice on the next available podcast that we release with your name and early notice of new merch and coffee and then a unftr monthly sticker subscription which we're really inside excited about more details on that to come and then over caffeinated members are going to get the whole the whole thing access to the newsletter access to the monthly hang the sticker subscription sponsored by on every episode and sponsored by in credits of every youtube episode as well early notice on the new merch and extra added benefit a quarterly surprise gift in the mail. So we're changing it up. And the reason we're doing that is because there's going to be more content coming your way and we're going to be doing more collaborations and we are throwing and investing a lot more into it. So we need to professionalize and we need to grow up. Our hope is that coming into next year, this is truly a brand and a business and we are cooking, but we can't do that without your support. So if you can see your way clear to supporting us now, even with just a a small membership of $5 a month to get you into the system, that would be great. So a lot going on. We have a lot of work to do in the background to get us there. But we're extremely excited. None of this is possible without the support of everybody who's gotten us here to this day. Did I miss anything?
1: No, I think that covers it.
0: All right. So let's kick off this week with headlines. There's only two that we want to cover right now, but there will be more in the newsletter as the week unfolds because holy shit, what a what a week. So the first one is about the thing that we teased in the newsletter, which is uh, Governor Handsome Newsom, winsome-loseome, Handsome Newsome, picking a longtime Democratic Party operative, Lafonza Butler, to replace Senator Feinstein. So this one does come from World Socialist website because it perfectly encapsulates the I would say the far left view of the corporate establishment democrat. So this is a this is a good position to be aware of and there's a lot of this that I that I certainly jive with. So I think it's kind of a preview of the Newsom presidency, like optics over substance. This promises and betrayal. I mean, we've seen this with him in the past. He's flip-flopped on a number of issues that are important to us and Newsrooms all over went to work to determine, you know, kind of where LaFonza Butler fits on the ideological spectrum. But there were curious omissions from establishment sources like the New York Times that were quickly debunked by the left and the likes of Sam Cedar and Emma Vigland on the Majority Report. I'm going to provide a link to that in show notes so you can you can watch that. But they kind of picked through that they actually read through the article and pick through it one you know piece by piece to show you how they they have some stunning omissions and it's just the beginning of trying to you know, portray the person that they need her to be in order to gain acceptance. And you can imagine that the establishment media is gonna line up behind her if she decides to actually run for the seat uh, after the appointment. More searing though, is the article from the World Socialist website, which skewers this pick as an egregious example of woke box checking. So she's female, black, lesbian, and a former union leader. I mean, literally every box, right? Except that after leaving a high paid union position, she went to work in corporate America against the unions. She advised then-Senator Kamala Harris, who was hardly a progressive senator, on her presidential bid. And she presided over a Democratic funding organization that gave the bulk of their funds to conservative Democrats and ignored requests from progressives. So that's who we got. So it doesn't matter what the packaging is. It's all about what they do and what they stand for. And it it appears to me, just from the outside and from the initial take, that sadly LaFonza Butler stands for none of the things that we were hoping for. So, uh, I'll let you read from the article in the newsletter, but uh, it's, like I said, it's pretty scathing. The second one is from the ACLU. And I wanted to kind of go dip back into this because we'd covered education pretty extensively over the summer. And I wanted to kind of go back into that because Uh, There's been a couple of listeners that have mentioned what's happening in different states with the attack on education. And here's just a a quick piece from the article. This is from the ACLU directly. This movement in the classroom may have been the impression of a spontaneous grassroots coalition of concerned parents, but that's not the case. An investigative report from Education Week revealed it's the result of a very strategic and quickly moving assault on historically accurate education by well-resourced, interconnected conservative think tanks impeccably organized were the words a school district equity officer from the south used to describe the work of groups in their city. So the ACLU is taking aim at this network of interconnected think tanks that are going after what they consider to be the, the woke racialized agendas in the schools. So this is why we're seeing Prager U get entree into the schools. This is why we're seeing any mention of Slavery being whitewashed, or you know, talking about even in Florida how there's there's a case to be made that that was the best thing that happened to African Americans coming to this country. I mean, what's happening in education from from Florida to Oklahoma is really is really just it's so distressing. But the ACLU is on it; they're going to be launching a number of, of uh, lawsuits, obviously, against it. But this stuff is happening at the state level, so in their divide and conquer strategy. They're going to put the progressives kind of, uh, you know, in disarray trying to track down all of these lawsuits. And we may have a better chance of trying to get them, you know, of, of targeting a couple of them so that they ultimately get up to the appellate division. But you can imagine that the further up the chain that this goes, the more it's going to get codified as school choice laws under this current Supreme Court. So very, very troubling stuff. And that's where we are. 99, are you ready to get into emails?
1: Let's do it.
0: Uh, the first one, i uh, going to give to Patrick McGee. As you know, we had a lengthy back and forth last week. Uh, Patrick wrote us off for the second, third time. <laughs> I don't know what it was, right? Uh, he tries to write us off, but, you know, he just, he keeps coming back for more. Because we have a love-hate relationship, but it's mostly love. So he wrote a lengthy and, again, well-reasoned response that was that involved unions, uh, progressive corporate Democrats, etc. But in the interest of time and just to give space to others, Uh, I'll give you a highlight that kind of encapsulates the frustration that I think we all feel, but it's really well-written So Patrick said what makes me so strident in my opinions as you know I'm quite a bit older than you and I'm so very very tired of losing repeatedly Perhaps other people age more gracefully and come to peace with these kinds of things But that just isn't me just makes me so damn mad to see so many things going backwards the arc of history bends dot 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 my ass Well said. Patrick, I appreciate uh, you writing in. And uh, like I said, we're just we're going to move on to uh, others to give them space. But I hear you and I appreciate you sticking with us.
1: And then we heard from Dan H., who said, congrats on finishing the socialism series for what essentially was a summary of a graduate student course titled Socialism from the Enlightenment to Present. I'd say you did a fantastic job distilling it down to about four to five hours of content. And then this was also a very long and thoughtful email. And a little later, Dan said, as is true of much of your work, you get me thinking about larger systemic structures and how they influence my life. Taking the time to better understand how and why our country and much of the world is the way it is helps me conceptualize my place in it. I'm not running for office anytime soon. I don't spend my entire day working to push our political and economic systems in a more progressive direction. And that's okay. I'm doing work where I can by learning, by trying to form a public employee union at my college, by eventually educating my kids about the stuff, and getting them to think about societal structures even earlier in life than I did.
0: That's amazing. And that I think that really speaks to the heart of what we're trying to accomplish here. You know, early on, a few people reached out to us and said, you know, so what's the point? What are you going to do? Just give me some instructions. What's the handbook? And our point was, you know, this this requires a lot of learning and retraining and, and retraining how we look at the world and how we look at history, because we've really been sold a bill of goods on so many different levels. And then once you see how it all weaves together, as we've done over the last, I would say, 18 months or so, you start to get an appreciation for not just the magnitude of the issues that we face, but for how they got here, which is instructive on thinking about how we can begin to chip away at uh, the structures of power that are so entrenched. What Dan is mentioned earlier in the email is class consciousness. And I think more than anything, that's that's where we need to sit. That's kind of where UNFTR needs to live in raising consciousness that the 99% of us, we are members of a single class that is fighting against the oligarchy. That's that's about the best that we can do to contribute. But Dan's going a step further. I mean he's kind of minimizing what he's what he's working on, but I mean by trying to form a public union at his college and also educating his children in the future. I mean, that's more than most people try to do. And it's not not the forming a union part. That's extraordinary. But, you know, passing along this knowledge, whether it's to our children or to our friends or to loved ones, anybody willing to engage in a, in a spirited exchange that's factual and, and fascinating, then that's doing the hard work. A waterfall begins with just one drop of water. That's what I like to say.
1: Wow. Yeah. Was that Buddha?
0: Bryce Courtney.
1: Who's that?
0: Just a guy who writes.
1: Okay. Yeah. Should I know who they are? Mm-mm. Okay. No.
0: Now moving on. Sarah N said, "I loved your socialism series. It paired nicely with Vox's five-part capitalism series that just wrapped this last Friday. It's relevant and definitely resonates. Thank you." <clears throat> and now get ready for the Manny punch in. What did not resonate is Manny Face's rant at the end about hip hop. He forgot to mention hip hop's capitalistic 444 album, misogynistic, and homophobic elements. Maybe he should listen to the most recent Into It podcast by Sam Sanders from Vulture. This podcast was truly amazing. Sam Sanders did some excellent digging, and while hip hop is so important to the culture, you can't blanket statements saying it's all inclusive and loving. Thank you, Sarah. I know that Manny has thoughts on this, and I'm sure he will punch in shortly after I finish this little diatribe. Uh, but the bottom line is, here's my perspective of, of the work that Manny does outside of, of UNFTR and Newsbeat. You know, he's got a, a whole ecosystem of, of shows that he produces. But the hip-hop one is is core to him because he's been a hip-hop journalist literally his entire career. So he has a great perspective on it. And I don't think he's, I don't think that this is, you know, some sort of blind spot for him at all. I think that this is one of the things that, that he grapples with. And he's spoken about this, I mean, at length. So I'll leave it to him to, to give a, hopefully a short response to this, Manny, because I know you could talk for hours about it, but then also maybe to drop some resources that we can share to some of your work that speaks to this and then how, you know, that community the hip hop community is is having a conversation with itself and attempting to kind of overcome these things and push through these things but also the very the reality that music is a reflection of a particular culture and that these things should be happening within the culture and working themselves out so we'll see what Manny has to say
2: Thanks, Max. And thank you, Sarah, for your comment. Uh, Max is right. I've been doing this for a long time and have a lot to back up my statements, but obviously only a short space here. So let me just say to you and anyone else who wants to discuss this or go deeper, I am extremely accessible and eternally willing to have these discussions on whatever platform you'd like. I'll even take your phone call. (laughs) Um, I'll try to encapsulate it briefly. So hip hop is a culture in of itself and not because I say so, but because the dictionary, academia, the arts, governments and most important, its participants say so. What you're describing is the rap music industrial complex, right? One subsection of the entertainment side of hip hop culture and one that is absolutely driven by capitalism. Similar to any entertainment industry think the movies right output will be heavily skewed towards the extremes violence, misogyny, drug use, homophobia, etc. In this case, this is largely because hip hop culture sits within larger American culture, which is rife with and in almost every way amplifies these types of messaging, particularly in entertainment. Forget the fact that you're going to find hundreds and thousands of artists who don't pedal in this type of content in the underground and in independent scenes. Uh, and you also find that overseas and in different countries where hip hop is hugely prevalent, you'll find there may be less content that falls under these typical criticisms. But, but hip hop knows all of this. And those who are concerned with or study or advocate for all the great things within the culture, as Max says, grapple with these issues all the time. And the fact is, I heard the podcast you're talking about and I called them out actually on Twitter for doing what so many media outlets do to rehash these over litigated critiques without and here's the important part, without mentioning anything about how hip hop, not schools, not youth groups, certainly not churches, have developed and are actively helping to solve these and other systemic social disparities, ills and injustices. The fact is, you don't know about this. The fact is, to many people thinking hip hop, the first thing that comes to mind Is violence or misogyny or homophobia, all the things you talked about. You aren't told about all the ways that hip-hop music and culture are being used in school settings to help reverse the damage of Eurocentric educational models that are wildly outdated and biased against young children of color or the way that mental health professionals developing therapeutic uses of hip hop report reduction in anxiety and depression and increases in self-esteem and expression when other traditional, you know, long-standing mental health therapeutic methods weren't making any headway. How folks at Google developed a program that uses the allure of music making to teach young people the basics of computer programming. Many who wouldn't have ever had access to such a program because they're from underfunded schools or districts that don't have this kind of equipment or this kind of technology. I could go on for hours. Literally, I literally But the fact that none of this comes to mind when I say hip-hop or when you hear hip-hop or when any, I'm not picking on you, when anybody hears hip-hop, they don't think innovative, welcoming, inspiring, inclusive. It's understandable. It's by design. Anyone who's involved in hip-hop or is a part of the culture and lives by its core values knows all of the above to be true. We also know that it makes a lot more money for corporations to peddle what you, Sarah, sees and hears. These companies, for the most part, aren't run by the people who have created and nurtured this beautiful culture, but by capitalist vultures, as you alluded to 100 percent, sometimes even emerging from within hip hop's own. So I welcome you to check out the very first episode of my other show, Hip Hop Can Save America, where I interviewed Dr. Bettina Love. It was the inaugural episode. She's gone on to do so many more amazing things, including books on abolitionist teaching. She just reached number six on the New York Times bestseller list with uh, her new book, Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children and How We Heal. But we're homies. We know each other. And she started out as a teacher incorporating hip hop into her fifth grade classroom in Georgia. And I want you to hear how she tells it. Because everything I've talked about, I've learned after finding out about her and her work and a few others like her years ago. Then pick literally any other episode of Hip Hop Can Save America that looks interesting to you. And you'll see why it's imperative to me that, yes, we acknowledge and must come to grips with all of the issues that are reflected in the music. We must all collectively recognize that that same culture has the tools to address to alleviate and in some cases eradicate the very issues which create the conditions that cause the creation of the content which displeases you because that may be in hip-hop but i promise you it does not define hip-hop so hiphopcansaveamerica.com or mannyfaces.substack.com for more uh feel free to reach out to me on social just google manny faces you'll find me pretty easily thank you sarah and thanks max and 99 for indulging me
1: So now we'll hear from Knudsen. Knudsen! (laughs) I was never one to get my homework in early while in school, but here I am 30 years later doing just that. I went back to my socialism definition, UNFTR episode, Understanding Socialism, part one, nine minutes, 43 seconds. Nicely done. And after listening to the full socialism series, as well as the Strike Labor episode, I have to admit I thought I would be scrapping my whole definition. I do feel, however, I can simply add to mine a little. Adding a good dose of class consciousness and internationalism to my mental soup. My ad is socialism can accomplish this best in an international system of socialist states where workers cooperate across borders on wages, benefits and ecological impacts.
0: Wonderful. Just wonderful. I love that. For anybody else, uh, we still have to reach out and we're going to do that by email to everybody that that sent us a submission for, for part one. Uh, but if you are listening to this and you know that you did that, if you could send yours in, that would be great. And we're going to put this together in a compendium and um, and actually commit it to print and hopefully come up with a little pocket guide that we can distribute to our members. So thank you, Knutson, for not just all the work you do, but for getting your homework in early. We appreciate you for that. And now Pastor Tim is back and says, Max, I think I've shared this before, but your buddy Chris Hedges has quoted Paul Tillich's notion that, quote, All institutions, including the church, are inherently demonic. And also quoted Reinhold Niebuhr as having said that no institution could ever achieve the level of morality of the individual and to, quote, extend their lives when confronted with collapse will swiftly betray the stances that ostensibly define them, end quote. I think that this, in large part, has been the story of the industrial unions over the course of their history, turning from being a platform for the voices of the voiceless masses of workers in the industrial U.S. to entities who began to operate as big businesses instead of retaining their original mission and thus losing their ability to be adequate critics of the industrialist class. Again, I defy anybody to find a more intelligent and rational audience. Pastor Tim, thank you for this. Uh, Was there anything else that I wanted to read? Oh, uh, there's a couple more points and we'll come back to that. I hate to go all fucking Mao on you, but a continuous revolution, a renewing of the mission and sweaty-gritty actual work of organizing and messaging about the meaning and the successes of organizing in America. I think your linkage between big labor and capitalism was emblematic of the issue. If they're seen as two sides of the same coin, how can you convince someone that it is in their best interest to join an organization that is in cahoots with the ones ripping them off? Hey, 99, for a t-shirt. Front just says, say it loud, say it with me. And the back says, yo, fuck Milton Friedman. That's fun. I can do that. I like it. Okay. We'll get on that, Pastor Tim. So, I, you know, I think my response at the end of the socialism series was kind of a yes to all of the above, but making sure that we're aligned on the strategic goals and outcomes. You're not going to dismantle the entire capitalist system. And unions are a reflection of the gains that the capitalist system has made because everything that a union asks for is done so within the confines and structures of what capitalism allows the union to have. So we established that. And, you know, in many cases, there are industries in which private sector employees have done better over time than union employees. So there's some hard data around that that that's really kind of troubling. At the same time, the protections that the unions have offered has, I think, kind of mitigated some of the capital gains that maybe some of the private sector people have made. And then there's the benefit picture, and then there's just the this, this stability of going to bed at night and knowing that you're gonna have a job the next day and that there's protections around that. So there's there's always trade-offs with this stuff. I think that the larger point that I was trying to make is that we, we need unions to work with a socialist movement and also with a, a movement toward worker cooperatives we need progressives of all stripes, even those that aren't really, you know, trained to think about the labor class and, and, uh, the, and wage slavery, to at least be thinking about aligning with an agenda that pushes us further to the left. So we're going to have to group together and make some concessions. I agree with Chris Hedge's sentiment that most in- institutions tend to have institutional rot over time. The Death of the Liberal Class, I think, is one of the more formative books that I've ever read, uh, and that is Hedge's. And it talks about institutional rot and the the careerism that winds up taking over the halls of academia, certainly the church. Uh, I mean, Hedges went through the seminary, so he has he has a firsthand knowledge of that. And he was at every, I think he was at uh, Ivy League institutions, so he has firsthand knowledge of that as well. And the labor movement is not, you know, doesn't fall outside of that. So, yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think that we're just going to need a bridge period where we need to, at least applaud and honor the work of unions while understanding that those are gains within a system that ultimately we're looking to upend. But it's going to take some time.
1: Next, we hear from the captain. You're going to sing her song?
0: I said, captain, I said, what?
1: <laughs> Listening to Max's assessment of the working class in the U.S. is so triggering. As a devout progressive from a conservative area of my state and a super conservative family, I'm awestruck at my relatives and their consistent, dedicated support for politicians who provide them with nothing but the same old dog whistle politics. To this day, I find my parents to be fairly intelligent people who read often and have some idea of how the world works. They're pot-smoking bikers who hate cops, who don't go to church and have near, nearly zero interest in spirituality. They've worked hard all their lives to own their house and are barely able to retire. They're one cataclysmic illness away from being their children's responsibility. My dad has often remarked how important unions are, while deifying Reagan, the man most responsible in my lifetime, for dismantling and weakening unions. Yet they will vote every election cycle for a straight Republican ticket, the party of the conservative Christians, family values, law and order, rich guys who need tax breaks and the most anti-labor of our two political parties.
0: So in the episode coming up this week, I was um, I'm talking about Newt Gingrich and how he sort of set the table for Matt Gates to be Matt Gates. And it was Newt Gingrich's contract with America that kind of established the conservative agenda that and the playbook that they're still operating from. But it was co-authored by Grover Norquist, who was the person who created the taxpayer pledge that all Republicans have to sign before they run for federal office, which basically says that they'll never raise taxes while they're in office, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that stuck out to me was in describing Norquist, they, they were talking about, you know, he's just sort of this like, you know, humorless, you know, lives for politics only guy who was like politicians posters above his bed when he was a young guy coming up and loving that real Reagan shithead that came up. That was like the Young Republicans Club kind of guy. Um, you mean you like me? Like <laughs> I was. Yeah. Who who loved Burning Man, like that type of person who like you know, was like, I'm cool. I'm hip. I'm going to Burning Man. And it reminded me of the discussion that you and I had about like how there can be conservative deadheads and like devout like I'm following the dead but I'm also voting for Trump and like how there's just no disconnect in that person's brain between what the dead stood for and or what Burning Man was trying to accomplish maybe maybe Burning Man is different because it's sort of like the spirit of individualism and like letting loose in a, in a, in a safe and secure spot in the desert that doesn't impact anybody in society like Not the ultimate anymore. libertarian bullshit but you know it just reminded me that like I think what the captain's saying is, is one of the most amazing things about our about our political journey in the United States is how how these people can hold those two thoughts together in their minds. You know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, there are people who aren't quote unquote hateful but vote for hateful people. Mm-hmm. So in turn, you sort of are hateful.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about maybe I have it outlined in the newsletter, and so I'll probably reference some of this stuff. But I, I wrote down. I went to the barbershop yesterday, as a matter of fact. And, Did you
1: sing? Uh,
0: no, I was not in a quartet. I was just getting my ears lowered. Okay. And this was while the House was in complete chaos and as they were taking the vote to, you know, oust him. And obviously Trump had been all over the news so far this week with, you know, multiple cases, whatever. And and, and anyways, it just seemed like it was, a, it looked like it was a bad week for the GOP. But I was sitting in the chair, looking at a bunch of normal white dudes. But you know, the white dudes with beards that are a little too thick, kind of thing, and still getting their kind of rockabilly haircuts that were, I think, going out that are, I think, are going out of style. Sort of that
1: they've never been in style. Are you? You're talking about? I know what you're talking about. I I
0: mean, the the hipster. I thought you were saying like
1: a real rockabilly haircut, and I was like, that hasn't been in style since the '40s. But
0: (laughs) I beg to differ. If I could pull it off, I would. Well, that's the point. It's not in style. Yeah.
1: I don't think it's, it's, style doesn't matter, do what you want, but sometimes it just doesn't look good.
0: So it's it was the, uh, it was just a handful of like the bearded hipster type of dude still, which I, I just, I think I thought that was on its way out, but whatever. And here's just, uh, here's some of the quotes that I heard of their discussion. Well, I think Monica still has the dress hanging in her room that the president came on. Imagine she probably gives tours and lets people smell it. Ew! Uh, hey, who's better than Hunter Biden? Right? Whatever happened to that hooker that he was with? That you know showed the pictures of his dick and all the heroin that that was, uh, or all the crack that was on the bed? Bet she's dead. Well, the Bidens don't kill people like the Clintons kill people. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton fucking killed everybody, and then went through <laughs> a litany of all the people that that she purportedly murdered. Nobody's taking my gas vehicle or my lawnmower away from me. Fuck the Democrats for doing that bullshit. And you know what? Electric vehicles are killing the planet anyway. And it takes more oil to make electric cars. So they're going to increase electric cars and they're going to pollute the whole world because recycling is a fraud. And did you know that they killed the White House chef that saw Michelle Obama's dick?
1: There was almost like one shred of truth in that, that recycling's a fraud. Yeah. Because we don't recycle properly and things aren't made to actually be recycled. But well, the
0: one guy was in construction and he's actually been in in a big, you know, a machine that, like, ran over a whole bunch of recycling. Like, did you?
1: I I believe that. Yeah. I believe we put it in landfills. At yeah. least in this state. Yeah. But, but
0: that's what's on their minds.
1: Michelle Obama's...
0: Michelle Obama's dick. dick. Quote, unquote. I thought Bill
1: we were Clinton's over... Bill Clinton's cum stain. Why are we still saying that people... Like, why is that still, like, the number one go-to insult? Like, did you know she's a penis?
0: Yeah, I I don't know.
1: What if she did?
0: It's just you know, Obama's now out of office for six years, right? And only been six, mm -hmm. and uh, six going on seven, right? Bill Clinton's been out of office since the '90s, and that's still a talking point. Hillary's kill count has been, well, I think she's a murderer, but she's that's been so widely. Oh, they brought up Jeffrey Epstein as well. I have to mention that as well. So. Jeffrey Epstein Monica Lewinsky
1: no, no, Michelle Obama's uh, dick
0: uh, no Pizzagate so this wasn't a Q crowd this was, I don't
1: know that, but they're circling the drain
0: they are they are but they had like they had their facts they were so confident in their version of everything but it's like one from every era that tells them a story that no matter fucking what fuck the Democrats so it's a small sample size and I'm not, you know, willing to submit that. Although I think the people that traveled the country in 2016 that did actually go to the diners and the barber shops and and ask people and eavesdropped and listened to people knew that something was up that the rest of us just kind of ignored because it just seems so it just seems so implausible that Trump could win. But I think that, like for example, you know, grabber by the pussy didn't resonate with people because, you know. A lot of people are just like whatever that's just locker room talk like they really bought into the locker room talk side of this thing and then were upset that anybody was criticizing somebody's ability to participate in locker room talk because that's just the way it's always been but they take these other narratives from the other side and they just become embedded and they're so entrenched i don't know how we ever get rid of them i don't know if it's possible
1: i don't i think they just have to cycle out hopefully you know, in 30 years.
0: These were young guys. Maybe
1: Monica Lewinsky can have a fucking break.
0: They're all... The, every one of these guys, I should have said that. They're in their 20s.
1: Yeah. Everyone. But, but, like, maybe finally, you know.
0: I don't know. These are... They're all younger than you. And they're talking about Bill Clinton. Like it was yesterday.
1: Well, but if you ask them anything else about... I bet if you ask, like, what's his kid's name, they probably couldn't come up with Chelsea. Because it's, it's one factor. Does it matter? Well... Eventually, hopefully, maybe the one story will—it will be replaced by a different story, but maybe that's when it ends. Because I'm not talking about FDR's love life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so maybe—maybe maybe time will kill it.
0: Maybe. I was just hoping that, you know, I wouldn't run into dudes in their 20s talking about Monica Lewinsky.
1: Are you sure they're in their 20s and not their, like, their 30s?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: it's Interesting.
0: Yeah. It was the oldest guy in there by a lot.
1: So you definitely need a new barber.
0: Apparently. Apparently.
1: Do you even like your haircut? I feel like all I don't men- I do know what to do with that. All men, they just like get a haircut and they don't say anything. But like, you know, there's like the joke about we get haircuts and we pretend we like them and we leave and we cry. That's like what women do.
0: Okay. So do I'm you? asking
1: you. Me? Yeah. Uh, my hair is hard to fuck up. Well- you could fuck it up, but because it's curly, it sort of always has the same shape.
0: Have you ever cried leaving?
1: Leaving a hair salon? Yeah. I cried when I did my own hair once because I dyed she it. bangs. No, I never did. I had bangs as a little kid, but I never wanted, I never did the like bangs as an adult thing or a teenager. No, I tried to dye my hair a little closer to my natural color and it just didn't look like me. So I started crying and okay. then I my friend's mom fix it. I said, please help. Mm. And then I bleached it and <laughs> here we are. But, um, so yeah, do you like your haircut? I'm trying to compare experiences.
0: Yeah, I like my haircut.
1: Okay, good. Then keep your barber. I'm just trying to get you to open up. Kid
0: cutting my hair is great. He's awesome. Yeah, he only
1: talked about, you know, Michelle Obama's dick twice.
0: He doesn't really speak English.
1: I actually don't want my hairdresser to speak to me.
0: No, I, I don't enjoy it. And
1: it's not about a service thing, like me being better. I'm like, I just don't want to talk. Same with my Uber driver. Please, I'm sure you want to sit in silence, too.
0: Yeah, unless I'm there with people that I know, in which case I will linger. And I love the barbershop. Oh, God. I absolutely That's love the That's the oldest barbershop. man
1: thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, oh, we're hanging out at the barbershop.
2: Hey, I just got to jump in here. Now, this doesn't help you at all, Max, but 99, the barbershop is a thing. It's a place for young men to congregate and engage. I mean, if if you look in the black community, if you look in the Hispanic community, uh, I mean, LeBron James has an entire HBO series based on sitting in the barbershop and commiserating with your comrades. There were not one but two entire movies called Barbershop. (laughs) I used to get my hair cut in Freeport, Long Island at a Dominican barbershop. Uh, Trust me when I tell you, the barbershop is the hot spot in very many communities you know m- maybe not yours you know just saying but yeah
1: why do you go to the barbershop with people you know half your friends are bald
0: it just happens sometimes we used to we used to actually go as a group we would book a group appointment
1: <laughs> So
0: funny. and we would all yeah it was uh, it was great <laughs> it was the best i
1: mean i guess i get my nails done with my friends sometimes but mm-hmm. that feels less silly somehow it was
0: it was raucous it was amazing.
1: The men have knives, man. Don't be don't be raucous at the barbershop. shop.
0: Those were good days They're nick until they you. weren't. Until
1: they weren't. Yeah, until this happened. Sad. Until they weren't. Your friends changed. You yeah. changed.
0: Yeah. You, you can't realized, go back. You
1: realize it wasn't fun to get your hair cut with your friend as a no, grown man.
0: Those were those were really the days. Those were good days until they weren't. Now we have a tale of two errands here. So Manny took a hit before, 99's taking a hit now, with the first Aaron, Aaron H. To my friends and comrades at UNFTR, please stop talking about Taylor Swift. She's a gifted songwriter and consummate performer. She's a voice for her generation. I admire and celebrate her work and catalog, but she's a product of capitalism. She's a pretty white girl. And while her songwriting is powerful, transcendent, and culturally iconic, it's not that stellar. It's formulaic, radio-friendly, and tragically monolithic. The beautiful artistry to be experienced within is drowned out by excessive media coverage and a massive carbon footprint, in my opinion. What are we working on here? Unfucking why we're in this mess, right? She represents a big part of why we're in this mess, namely the distraction that capitalism maintains to keep us satiated. And then we have another Aaron.
1: I don't get to respond.
0: Oh yeah, I know you do. We have another Aaron, Aaron N., who says, Hi, Max and Co., So nice to have 99 back again, livening up the dialogue. I wish I had the skills to find things to criticize the UNFTR narrative like Patty McGee as my journalism job made me look for flaws and insincerity. But UNFTR is, as far as I can see, the real deal, and Max has a professorial great insight into his subject matter which is inspiring. I do think Patrick did an eloquent service of grumping at Max, as I imagine Max loves a challenge. I had to smile at 99 breaking into my comment on British cooperatives with Doctor Who information as my son is a walking Doctor Who encyclopedia. By the way, it's handy when you mention TV shows and movies you like as it makes you relatable as regular people. Smiley emoji. So on the one hand, we do talk about some pop culture and some normal shit because we are normal people and we do think that it actually, you know, livens things up and lets you know that, you know, there's people behind this and we consume regular stuff as well. I go to the barbershop I love Alan Alda big fan of Miami Vice clearly stuck in a time warp but you know these things are interesting and fun so we talk about it because it, it does liven it up. and on the other side here I mean we can have a we can have a conversation about Taylor Swift and capitalism I suppose but I don't think we should stop talking about Taylor Swift because she she's a cultural phenomenon. And the only thing before I release the microphone to uh, what whatever tongue lashing the Aaron H. is about to get from 99, the only thing that, that doesn't sit right with me here is that her songwriting is powerful, transcendent, and culturally iconic, but not stellar. It's formulaic. I don't think that those things can live together. So I, either she's culturally iconic and totally transcendent, or she's formulaic and tragically monolithic. Anyway,
1: I would give him formulaic. I don't think she is, but like you could be iconic and formulaic. I think that's OK sure. or possible. Um, let's see. OK, <laughs> where do I start? I'm not angry. I understand. Let's start with the positive. Like you said, gifted songwriter and consummate performer voice of a generation. You admire and celebrate her catalog. She's a pretty white girl. That's just she is pretty. That's that's just my opinion. OK, those are all good things. Yep. She is a product of capitalism, as is everything, as are we right, sitting here right now. We are products of capitalism. Mm -hmm. There's just no world. We live in a capitalist world. There's just no possible way to not be, Um, unless you're busking for a living, in which case you're still making money. You just busk for free and be the most talented performer. I don't know. I guess that's a product of not capitalism. The carbon footprint thing drives me a little nuts because... Uh, Do you remember this about like the reports about her private jet usage and they're really high and her PR team was like, well, we we lend her jet out to people, which I'm sure they do sometimes, but it doesn't excuse it. But people, people use that like a reason to hate her and it's definitely a reason to be like, hey, that's not cool. And I'm sure it's something that they're working on as a team. But like that whole report about Kylie Jenner's private jet usage and hers, is still trying to distract you from who's actually doing the most damage to our planet. Taylor Swift is not doing as much damage as BP or any of the other oil companies. That's just not how this works. So we can can be upset with her, but we can't just be like, she's the reason, because people do that all the time. And it's just like a thinly veiled way to say, I hate her, and here's why, because you hate her to hate her. And you can just not like somebody, and that's okay, too. There doesn't need to be evidence to back it up. Right. Or what are we working on here on fucking why we're in this mess? And I don't think she represents Milton Friedman's neoliberal ideologies. Like, I don't think she's that. She is a pop star. And how many voters did she register that we see? 36,000, 38,000? How much money did she put back into the economy this year? We could have a, a topical cream on how or even a quickie on how Taylor Swift has invigorated the economy and is weaponizing was the word that came to mind but invigorating her young uh base of followers to get involved politically I understand if you're not a fan I mean you're confusing me because you kind of sound like you're a fan <laughs> but I understand if you're not really a fan and like we I drone on about it but it's partially, a joke. It's just like one yeah. of those silly things that's recurring on the show where yeah. we do a Taylor Swift update. I'm not that person in my regular life. I don't constantly only talk about. She Taylor doesn't Swift. give the
0: update she wants to give because she won't reveal her her real real crush band. <laughs> so we have to rely on the. I on don't the have Swift a crush updates. on
1: them. They're like my, they're like they're my, like
0: your children. No,
1: they're like my well yeah, but they're all they're or your like dads. My dad's my babies and you my and sons. Your babies and your sons It's yeah. like all, but it's not in a romantic way. You
0: can talk about confusing. Hey. You know know, what I'll say too is is it it's important to also have fun and to have interests and to laugh and to be moved by things as you know whether it's formulaic or not like you know be moved by it be be all in on something you know go to a movie and check your you know check your conscience and and subconscious at the door and just enjoy it. Let it wash over you. That's like I I have those guilty pleasures in watching extraordinarily violent movies, which I can't really figure out about my personality, but I don't want to go to therapy. So there you go. But those appeal to me. But I'm not going out and, you know, buying guns and trying to murder people like John Wick on the street. And I'm, you know, hopefully not going overboard with it uh, on the show either. But I do think it's important to let down and to and to and to just let yourself be a human and be a person, because that is ultimately how we all connect. So, you know, let's keep on loving Taylor Swift. And let's talk about TVs and movies. TVs. TVs. The TVs.
1: I openly watch Chicago PD.
0: I mean, said no one ever. That's the weird. <laughs> that's weird. That's weird. I also it's not watch, like Miami Vice.
1: I also watched Love is Blind, if anyone's watching the new season.
0: Okay. No.
1: I, it wasn't to you, was to the listeners. I
0: don't even know what it is.
1: It's a show. It's a Netflix dating show where... They get, like, let's say 15 women and 15 men, and they're sequestered. So, like, the men are with the men and the women are with the women. This is all very heteronormative, you mm-hmm. know, so we don't need to use any uh, gender-neutral pronouns here. I don't think they would stand for that. Okay. Or they'd have to they'd call it, like, queer love is blind. Like, they had <laughs> queer ultimatum, so it'd have to, like, a very clear tagging. Um, And they they go on dates, but there's, like, a wall between them. So almost like the dating game, but like they can't see, they can't hear, they can hear each other, excuse me. They can't see each other and some of them can, they choose not to like reveal anything about what they look like. So then they get engaged. They get engaged within two weeks of being in the pods, they call it. And then they have 30 days where they live together and then they choose to get married or not at the end. And they get married on the show. Okay. So I watched that. Why? Because it's funny and it entertains me we do a lot of shit here i, I like when i get home i don't want to watch that's why i haven't seen any good tv because i'm like i'm too tired to yeah. pay attention yeah i just want someone to like i do want to check out i my don't want to be riveted
0: out. by something right now or i just yeah
1: yeah i haven't seen any like i'm like i've been like i'm gonna watch white lotus or righteous yeah. gemstones i keep telling myself like just do it mm-hmm. and i'm just like no i'm gonna watch chicago pd like
0: Yeah, where it doesn't matter if you missed the last episode. Yeah, Yeah, or like if I go to to the bathroom in the middle,
1: I don't pause it. (laughs) Just come back and it's like nothing's happened or they've murdered someone.
0: Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah, I don't don't want to get into anything episodic right now. I just can't. Don't have the heart. Don't have the heart for it. I get it.
1: So we're sorry (laughs) or you're welcome. (laughs)
0: Uh, All right, let's go over to social media and YouTube.
1: Yeah, so Andrew, (laughs) I looked this up right after... I, or right before I published the episode of last week's show notes and I was like, or no, it was the regular
0: episode. Did we not say it was from the Matrix?
1: We didn't say it, but I fucked it up. So, So last week we were talking about red pill, blue pill and you were like red pill and I said no blue pill. Think about it like the depth, like the parties, like red yeah. is bad, blue is good. So Andrew was correcting me and saying like blue is like going back to your regular life and red is like knowing everything.
0: So oh, it's my, the opposite, so I see. So
1: my assumption was because the right has co-opted red pilled that blue would be like the good path and red would be the bad path where in the matrix blue is like like the path of ignorance if anything so that's why they're being red pilled so like technically what you were saying you would still say red pilled but it has this um, what's the word I'm looking for connotation now of like Q, like being red pilled. So you're like waking up to what real society is. That sucks. Um, so I was, I'm shocked. Andrew's the only one who told me about like, who was like, hey, you got this wrong. Cause I was like, oh fuck, they're all gonna come for me. But I, I made, <laughs> I said, that's what happened when you assume. I know, I knew it was from a matrix, but I just assumed and I was wrong. And sorry to the Wyckowskis.
0: Manny, if you could just clip that little piece of uh, 99 saying, I was wrong. Um, we're gonna loop that. At some point. I don't know when, but we'll use it. That
1: was wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. I was wrong. Nope, I was right. <laughs> use that one instead.
0: Good movie. The concept itself is very Ayn Randy. Oh yeah. Do you wanna read the whole thing? Sure. Give me um, so
1: some clarification on the origin of red pill, blue pill. If you haven't already had a million nerds jump down your throat, <laughs> it's from The Matrix. Before Neo gets his consciousness pulled out of the simulation, they offer him a blue pill or a red pill. He can take the blue pill and go back to his half-life in the machine, or he can take the red pill and face his destiny, and learn where the rabbit hole goes that goes, that sort of thing. Good movie, but the whole concept itself is very Ayn Randy, and the whole red pill thing was co-opted by neckbeards and incels to be the alt-right version of the term woke.
0: Neckbeards is the thing, so those are the guys in the barbershop? So. No. No.
1: It's people whose beards go onto their neck. Like Yeah not a beard that's long it's a beard that's oh. on your neck like close cropped
0: what's wrong with them
1: um it's sort of a i would say early internet um classification of a certain type of nerd maybe also the nerds who wear the fedoras and say milady. so it's sort of become a, <laughs> a cartoon of itself
0: there are nerds out there that do that
1: yeah you don't know about no. milady? oh man no I've, i if you Why go to, do, they do that it's like, like chivalry, like, milady. Oh, God. And it's like cringy. I'm sure if you go on Know Your Meme and you type in like milady, it'll give you the whole history of there's a specific image of one man that they use a lot. So, you know, they might also be like, I don't know if they, they might coexist with weeaboos or like the people the who like. the
0: fuck is a weeboo?
1: Weeaboo. The people wee-boo? who like fetishize Japanese like anime. So they might have like full body pillows of like a Japanese, like an anime girl which is like it's okay to like like there's a sexual aspect of that too I think neckbeards kind of yeah I think they kind of overlap with that
0: get offline everybody incels
1: at this point are just like go on a hike domestic terrorists go on a
0: hike get outside
1: The internet's okay.
0: just stop it
1: it's all about balance you know I don't want to shame we might have some neckbeard listeners I don't want to shame them as long as you're not hurting anybody with your neckbeardiness okay you know
0: you're right I'm sorry I also want to shout out First Wealth is Health on Instagram, because they've been spreading the word on other feeds about the socialism series. So thank you for doing that. All right, let's go over to YouTube really quick and then we'll get out of here. We're making good time today. Exemplify 6593 said, Ahem, your content quality is so great. This is really indulgent, I'm sorry. With this level of production in any other area of learning, you'd have close to a million subscribers by now. <laughs> That said, thank you for making content of this nature and to this quality. You're the vanguard Marx described, even if we Americans aren't ready yet. Thank you for doing what you can to bring about class consciousness. Well, thank you, Exemplify6593. We are small, but we are mighty.
1: And then Ben H responded to our free market episode and said, The great success of the FDR and LB, LBJ social welfare reforms. So that was in all caps. I guess a failed war on poverty and creating... Why did I say war? I guess a failed war on poverty. Why is that hard to say? I don't know. War on poverty. Poverty. It makes me, yeah. A
0: war on poverty. Yeah.
1: So I guess a failed war on poverty and creating entitlement programs, which will likely destroy our currency, are a success in your book. Yeah, you're definitely qualified to take on some Nobel laureates. Good Lord.
0: Take the good with the bad. (laughs) Exemplify and Ben H. I
1: didn't re- realize living I was on opposite a, ends like of the a, a negative comment. I would have read it more snottily.
0: Well, when I picked the first one, I was like, "Well, I got to counterbalance mm. this with some hate. This is this is too squishy." So
1: I don't. Why was I don't understand the first sentence? Great success of the FDR and LBJ social welfare reform.
0: Castaway line that I had in the oh. free market episode. Like you know, he's trying to unravel the great success of these programs.
1: Okay, I got it. it
0: was a success, though. It's going to destroy our currency.
1: Are you taking on any Nobel laureates?
0: Yeah. Milton Friedman. Oh. Friedrich Hayek. Okay. Yeah. All in a day's work, 99. Mm. Thank you, Maria from PR. Bought us three coffees, by the way. Said dear 99 Max and Manny, a mellow Maynard coffee or a Puerto Rican coffee for each of you. Thank you for your great work always. I loved how Manny and Max handled the show. LOL, Max handled. And I also love to see 99 is back. And in good health, we missed you. Well, we love you, Maria. Thanks.
1: And then um, Larry L became a member. Sharing your adventure has provided a powerful boost to the education I received from Occidental, Columbia, USC, and UCLA. And my professional years as an educator during my 87 years on earth keep it up wow 87 years young
0: larry l larry love let 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 let, let larry love you remember that manny pull that up for From me would you what late 80s early hip-hop late 80s i think
1: no, manny can you check me on that I-
2: Yeah, that's Larry's dance theme. 1985, Larry Love, Larry Parker, uh, was down with Grandmaster Flash. Grandmaster Flash, of course, one of the early DJ pioneers in hip-hop, also responsible for Grandmaster Flash and The Furious Five, who put out The Message, the rapping mainly done by Melly Mel. On a bunch of lists, The Message is one of the greatest rap songs of all time, certainly the one that first introduced the idea of using the music to speak on the conditions faced by the creators of the music so yeah I know there's something about it
1: you didn't pull the one of was it Pastor Tim getting mad about me making fun of you for idioms was that in Pastor Tim's email
0: was that pa- I don't think that was that Pastor Tim I thought that was last week
1: I don't think we read it
0: oh I think it's because uh, I had two it might have been Pastor Tim but we had two from Pastor Tim so I just uh, selected one of them
1: yeah he basically said I <laughs> let me just find it <laughs> Because I want to call, I want to call that out.
0: Why? Well, the com- the comment was uh, how I keep using idioms that uh, are unfamiliar to '99 and you know, generationally, it's probably a generational issue. So, like the phrase "going away" to signify somebody's Nobody winning something by a lot. And um, yeah, Pastor Tim was like, "Just enough already. Just accept that we have." generational phrases that sometimes don't cross the lexicon. That's why I
1: wanted to talk about it. Okay. Because... Okay, so... (laughs) It said, This is uncomfortable, but it's been bugging me for a long time. It's the idiom wars between Max and 99. They bug the living shit out of me. As a basic white guy myself, it feels a little spiky towards our particular demographic. The most recent examples, show notes, and 99's exploration of the term going away to indicate a victory. On the face of it, I think that 99's reactions to things I've never heard before are a bit overblown if only because there's a fuck ton of things outside of direct experience of any of us that's how learning works you you hear something you ask about it you adopt or discard it as you wish but you become aware of it and your knowledge grows i thought that's what i was doing so that's why i wanted to call that out i okay i don't i think we've talked about this part i would never pretend i don't know something i mean unless it was a bit and you're like you know, oh, do you know our coworker? And I'm like, no, like that's maybe, but I'm not pretending not to know things.
0: I just thought it was funny when you were talking about it on the page. That, that to me, that was the funniest part of it. Cause you're like, capitalism's winning, going away, yeah. <laughs> going away, going away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so later he says, um,
0: he just fucking with you
1: i don't think he is i think he's i think he It genuinely frustrates him and i'm <laughs> you think i'm trying to assuage that because
0: <laughs> i don't think so no
1: he's saying i've come to appreciate stuff i've never heard before so whenever i hear 99 go off on us like we go around making shit up um it <laughs> rankles me and he's like explaining different idioms that from his place from like his different uh areas okay. and uh idioms are regional and ephemeral um,
0: so why are you so hateful towards idioms? What's your problem? I'm anymore? not.
1: I'm just my my question. What am I supposed? To, I just <laughs> Pastor Tim, what should I do? Should I pretend I know them?
0: You know what you should do? What? You should just, you know, keep that pretty little mouth of yours closed. That's right. And let the men speak.
1: I know that's not what Pastor Tim is saying, but I genuinely don't see. Like, like I said, it's not like that one. I wasn't just fucking with you, like for ginning up again. Like those. That's me just. You know busting your balls about saying the same shit over and over again yes but I've, if there's something i've never heard i am learning and i i didn't say it's not it's not real i'm convinced winning going away didn't seem real i googled it seven thousand results not a lot but it's clearly real in your world
0: yep old in your white, white, man, white world. man world world yeah I wonder if it's used by like the you know the the broken English uh, sportscaster.
1: I'm even a non piece. even a non broken English sportscaster, which feels <laughs> I don't know is that racist?
0: It, no, it's, it's a just that sportscasters have like their own. Uh, I, I remember reading somebody. It was a while ago who was who was reading sports writers and just talking about the vernacular in sports is just so different. And like they just take such great liberties with the English. language.
1: No, I that I love. And that's why when I said what I when I realized it was a sports thing, it made sense to me that like, oh, OK, this is something that I, it makes sense in a sport. If you said like the soccer team was winning, going away, I might have understood it a little more. In you just context. seem really
0: upset about the phrase itself. And I don't know why you're well, getting so lathered why, up.
1: That one was stupid, <laughs> but otherwise, mm-hmm. w- what should I do? I don't know.
0: Why are you so mad at Pastor Tim? I'm not. He's, he's mad a pastor, at me. For crying out loud, I'm you should, Jewish. You should be careful.
1: I don't. I don't have to venerate other people's religious people. Not, I do have enough. respect, though. It's not
0: enough that you killed his lord now you have to go after him yeah me specifically mm-hmm.
1: but what what I just need instruction just like <laughs> our unfuckers want to know how to unfuck the republic I want to know how I should respond to idioms that I don't know or any words
0: Larry love Let Larry hopefully Manny found that
1: I'm sure he did
0: I bet he did bet he knew right away who it was
1: maybe I should just start coming up with idioms I'm gonna I'm gonna start making shit up okay I'm gonna be like, this microphone is Trill Dog, and you're gonna be like, what does that mean?
0: Stop trying to make Trill Dog work.
1: <laughs> I can make Trill Dog work if I wanted to. Really lit AF.
0: Then I'm gonna work it into the next episode. Trill Dog. That's some Trill Dog but shit, right D-A-W-G. there. It's DAWG. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, just making sure. Okay, yeah, realize of course. That.
1: So I don't know, man. I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I'm the dumb sidekick, but then I'm the annoying sidekick if I don't know something and I ask.
0: I don't think anybody ever referred to you as the dumb sidekick. No, just me in my head. uh, (laughs) I think it's your, uh, it's your obsession with the you know uber capitalistic and formulaic monolithic Taylor Swift that's really got uh, panties in a bunch.
1: Panties.
0: Panties. That's a Most Deaf
1: song. Just panties. Period.
0: My panties, Manny.
2: A, I love how much hip hop this episode has uh, featured. uh, B, it's the panties by Most Deaf. When he was most deaf, now he's Yasin Bey. Then he was most deaf. Either way, he's the mighty most deaf. The panties. Oh,
0: okay. I know
1: the thong song. What's that? By Cisco. That thong, da thong, thong, thong. <laughs> Ooh, that butt's so scandalous I don't know handle this And they're shaking that thing Like, who's a bitch? Then they look in the eye So devilish Yeah Nice Cisco Cisco Yeah What was I saying the other day? Cisco that, Routers That's that I laughed the big myself. tech company,
0: yeah? Or the food company
1: No, but this is S-I-S-Q-O
0: Sure, of course it Not is Not
1: C-I-S-C-O or C-Y-S-C And is what, S-O? the S is
0: a dollar sign?
1: No, probably in the, uh <laughs> In the form of the S S Y S. That Cisco's probably an S.
0: All right. Listen, we're approaching one hour. What should we do? I think should we should New Year's out. countdown? I think we should clock out before one hour with just seconds to spare. How about that? Oh, but we're going to fuck it up because Manny's got to do punch-ins. has got to clean shit up anyway. All right. Well, so unfuckers know whatever the time winds up being, 99 and I cleared this in an hour. Yeah. Efficiency. All right, everybody. Uh, this weekend coming up, we've got uh, the... Newt Gingrich Matt Gates episode and after that who knows
1: bring Gates
0: <laughs> see you later everybody